politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to guard and protect our freedoms to the one and only CR podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house here on Wednesday, March 3rd. And again, we are marching through this month, the month of tyranny that set off a revolution, a bloodless coup against our Constitution last year. But it actually wasn't so bloodless because it did lead to the death of hundreds of thousands of people from our response to COVID and from COVID itself. As we talked about yesterday, denying treatments that should be over the counter, and yet you can't even get them in hospitals in most places. So here we are a year later. Have we reached the tipping point? Are we finally at the point where the dominoes of the demonic tyranny are falling one by one? And just like the dominoes of freedom fell, and each governor raced to outdo the next one on tyranny, are we going to have that in reverse? And the answer is, as it always is, it's up to us. Don't get complacent based on yesterday's news. Don't get me wrong. The news out of Texas and Mississippi is good. But notice that's two red states. There's a lot more than that. Now, there's some that already didn't have it, didn't have mask mandates. But there's plenty that still do. And even in those states, there's more work to be done. Part of our problem is that we have such low expectations as conservatives, and we always have. We are so used to getting beaten down that we become complacent, and I would argue even complicit, by accepting a new normal. And the left always does that. They gradually move towards tyranny, but they'll often do it kind of like a you know, a, a trend line, a stock market. If you look at the stock market trend on a given day, it will get even worse at a given moment within the day, but it, will, it won't land there. But what that does is it demonstrates, wow, you could have this degree of lockdown. Oh, so we didn't have it, so you know what? It's, it's pretty good. But this is how we lose our liberty because we forget, no, this is not normal. So there's a lot to talk about on that front, what we can and should be doing in state legislatures. But I first want to say just more broadly, the news from yesterday with the Texas and Mississippi governors getting rid of all of the COVID restrictions and the mask mandates and officially and importantly, including local governments, and that should include schools, we'll see what happens, is this focus on my red state project that I keep telling you. The most important things we can do as a group are to make red states red again and to make state legislatures great again. This is all we have. You know, we need a revolution. But the best way to do that is to really have self-sorting and a two-state solution. And the best way to bring that about is by accentuating this focus, this national focus, which is already happening on variances in states. And everyone's talking about that. This is the news wherever I go. And it's, it's a good thing. Oh, look, look at what the Texas governor did. Now, a lot of people don't realize he's part of the problem. They don't realize that it's a year too late. And he's nothing but a tyrant, and he needs to be primaried, and this should not let him off the hook. But it does demonstrate the importance of focusing on our strength. A lot of people are like, Daniel, these Republicans are as worthless as in a blue state. And I said, you're right, but there is a difference between there and a blue state in the respect that in a blue state, they don't fear you because you're, you're a hopeless minority. But here, at least you could pressure and it works. And and every time we get on the playing field, it does work. And I think, you know, we should definitely celebrate the fact that so many people have worked hard to get this off the ground. But in many ways, there's more work that needs to be done. And I want to talk about that at a broad thematic level, at a specific practical level. 
and what we can do about it. So more broadly, you have to understand we're nowhere near out of the woods. And I'm going to start off, before we get to all the states that haven't done this yet, and we have to fight to do it, even in Mississippi and Texas. So if you think, oh, wow, okay, let's scratch that off the list. We don't have to fight in the legislatures there. You're missing the point, if that's what you're thinking. Because even if all the COVID restrictions truly do fall away, even at a local level, which I'm still a little bit skeptical of, we are still worse off than we were a year ago in terms of liberty and constitutionalism, even in red states. And that's saying a lot. Well, you might say, well, Danny, what do you mean? If, if we got rid of all of it, then we're kind of back to where we were March 1st of 2020. But it's not so. Because that breach in the Constitution was already made. It was already accepted. That's the new normal. That's the new modus operandi. That's the new go-to tool of government. At a minimum... We have an obligation to bury this and plow the ground over it so it can never happen again. Never again tyranny. Maybe that's a hashtag there. Never again tyranny. That needs to be our rallying cry, even in the places where we get what we want. Because if you look very carefully, I I honestly didn't read the statement of the rhino governor from Mississippi But again, he's one of the rhinos is a little bit more, Tate Reeves, a little bit more sensitive to what conservatives think. But I did read what Greg Abbott wrote. And the problem is he doesn't concede anything. He doesn't say, look, I made a mistake. This was wrong legally. It was wrong morally. It was wrong scientifically. I could have avoided all of this by handing out free ivermectin and hydroxy and disacyclone, um, all the supplements and vitamins, and we could have saved lives, saved liberty, saved the economy, and all this stuff doesn't work anyway. This other stuff, the garbage. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but, you know, it might come as a shock, but I got a hunch that if you have a pharmaceutical problem, like a medical problem, it might require a pharmaceutical intervention, not an NPI, a non-pharmaceutical intervention, but that's just me, and that was, you know, again, yesterday's show with Dr. Lee Merritt, terrific information there. Go listen to it at least one more time if you haven't yet. That was Tuesday's show, Tuesday, March 2nd. But folks, basically what the governor of Texas said is that You know, cases are low. There's no reason to be doing this. So what that tacitly admits is that basically he still believes this stuff helps scientifically. This stuff is the go-to drug. Masks and lockdown are the go-to if cases would spike or if we have another sort of, um, you know, uh, another wave of this, another virus of something else. And certainly, he has the authority. You know, I'm I'm now using my authority to take it off. But he clearly reserves the power to continuously do that. And, and obviously, in, in, you know, specifically when it comes to the localities, he made it very clear that if it reaches a certain threshold, they could reinstate this. I'm saying, so it's not even... Speculative, he writes that directly in there. So he didn't concede anything. A year ago, if I would have told you the governor has the authority, the mayor has the authority to cover your nose and mouth, and there's nothing you can do about it, you would have thought I was crazy. That has not changed, even in Texas, even in Mississippi. That has not changed. That needs to change. So Representative Schaefer from the House, and I don't have it in front of me, but he does have a bill in Texas, to permanently ban mask mandates. 
Okay, so that's that's the first thing I wanted to get out there, that if we don't permanently take away this power from the Department of Health, then, and the governor and the mayors, then we're, we're still screwed. Because once people have gotten used to this, remember, you have viruses all the time. And things are going to happen. It's not every hundred years. So this is going to happen again. And again, I'm not, we don't have a guarantee that we've reached herd immunity everywhere. I mean, we likely haven't. There's likely at least a little bit more room to grow. And especially if the vaccine is garbage, so you're left with natural immunity, which is real, but it's still, you know, on average, maybe 35%, some places 40%, hotspots 50% that got it worse. But likely there's more room to grow. We don't know exactly where that threshold is. Originally we thought it was lower, but clearly it's higher. So this could go on. So that's number one that we need to push. Number two, and this is important, I'd like to push in our movement a right-to-try bill in every state. To me, this is the way to completely jujitsu COVID fascism. Part of the problem, and I think I didn't have the foresight to really appreciate it like the frontline doctors were pushing, is that we didn't push hydroxy and ivermectin quickly enough. We were saying masks don't work. They're all pain and no gain. And it was a strong argument. It still is a strong argument. But at the end of the day, people feared COVID. And if they feared COVID, it doesn't matter if you have a paper towel to guard yourself. But they're they're not going to let go of that paper towel until you give them a gun. And we could say the paper towel doesn't work. We could say it even harms. But they're scared of COVID. And they think they have something that might protect them. 1% chance. We should have pushed this earlier. My idea is to push in every state legislature to make ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine over the counter. Because this is the whole problem with availability. A lot of people are having problems getting it. They're in a hospital. They can't get treatment. My brother is literally talking about sneaking it into his father-in-law in the hospital there in New York because... We don't live in a third world country. We live in a fourth world country where you can't even get the stuff that's dirt cheap and works. I mean, in India, Uganda, and Africa, they, they have access to this. We don't to a large degree. Some people know where to go. But I think this is the perfect thing. What is the one thing that they're saying? Oh, no, 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 no. You can't get rid of the mass, man. You can't do it because there might be a fourth wave. And you know what? There might be. I don't know. But our argument needs to be not only does that stuff not work, but okay. Make ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine over the counter. The literature is so solid on ivermectin. It works as a prophylactics. It works early stage. It works late stage. Nothing works late stage as well as it does early but it does work against cytokine storm and the super infections and thrombosis and all the, you know, the, the problems of the immune system when it goes haywire, the reaction to COVID, that's really what gets people in trouble. Not so much the initial virus itself, but the reaction of the body to it. It works. Um, I'm trying to de- get Dr. Pierre Corey. He is the granddaddy of ivermectin, the guy who testified in front of Ron Johnson's committee months ago when you know, just, you know, that, that was just a viral testimony that Google, of course, took down because they want to kill people. I think we should punch them right in the face. You're right. COVID is a problem. So let's give everyone ivermectin. That needs to be the solution. And if anyone tells you when you call up your legislatures, legislators that, oh, no, the feds, this is the FDI, FDA and NIH and CDC guidance. We've been living for a decade now with one state after another legalizing marijuana in contravention to federal law and the DEA, whether you agree with that or not. But I'm sorry, 
if we could have states make an end run around the feds to make available something that is associated with cultural rock gut, then certainly we can have the things that are not associated with cultural rock gut and will cure the very thing that is being used as an excuse to crush our liberties and genuinely is killing some people. That is undeniable. This will save lives, both from COVID and from taking away the excuse of the erroneous response to COVID. Masks and remdesivir are the Nigerian prince scam of COVID treatment. It literally is. All 100% lie, but very costly. I mean, I guess the masks aren't that expensive nowadays, but remdesivir certainly is. What are the COVID treatment um, protocols in the hospitals in your state? The legislature needs to get on the playing field. And folks, this is why I started Constitution Action Network, conaction.network. It's not just going to be for state legislatures. We'll focus on a lot of other things. But to fight the civilization battles at a state level, primarily in the 31 states where Republicans control the legislature, particularly in the 19 where they have super majorities, they could override the governor. And I do apologize. I know some of you are getting antsy. You're emailing me. Hey, where's my group? Where's the team leader? I haven't been put in touch yet. Look, this is a huge undertaking, and I'm doing it with a couple volunteers, no money. You know, we already have almost 1,000 people signed up, so it's going to take time. I I wish I would have thought of it last year, but then again, you know, no one wanted to hear state solutions when everyone was focused on Trump, 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 and then you had the fallout of the stolen election. So I really got on this as soon as I could when it became clear that not just that the states are the solution, I always knew that, but that people will actually take to it. So it is, you got to be patient. Um, Most likely in your state, we do have at least 20 people, enough to form a group, more than enough. But, you know, I have to get a team leader, get you all on a secure email together where we could start doing it. Some of you are asking me about counties. Look, there's no way I could form county groups at this point. What we're going to do is form state groups. And once you have a state group, depending on how large you are, how diverse and large the state is, you could start creating subcommittees and and do it the way you guys want. Once you set it up, you know, I'm, I'm going to be pushing the macro messaging, the broad strategies and bills. You guys will inform and educate me on your strategies. And it's going to be very decentralized, which is how it should be, not top down like the Tea Party tried to do. But the way I envision this is it's going to be a little bit chaotic to have, you know, a lot of states, you have 100 different counties. We're not going to have the manpower, the talent, the time, the treasure, the organizational structure to do that. I would advise having one group in states like Texas and Florida, maybe divided by geography. Large states have two or three or four groups. And then within them, have a committee and a subcommittee, kind of like Congress. So the committee is you're all going to deal with pounding the legislature for state issues that are like this is the bill to get rid of emergency powers and mask mandates and you know fight Biden's executive orders and things like that but then there's you know the county level stuff is where you create subcommittees maybe you could make it county regional you're all part of the same state group but you'll have subcommittee assignments uh, th- this is just one way of doing it that I think is will keep the structure you all get together as a state, but you'll have subcommittees. You can have subcommittee chairs, you know, however you want to structure that. Um, I think a lot of you could think of creative ideas. It all depends on the type of people you have, how many, how many could, you know, how much time they have to donate, um, how talented they are on, on a given issue. So it, it's going to take a little bit of time. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at starting with Idaho, North Dakota, and Ohio for several different reasons. Oklahoma as well. These are states that I'm engaged in. I, I do think small red states, for the most part, I know Ohio is not small, but Ohio I'm focusing on just because the legislature is there all year round. So, you know, it's not running away from us. A lot of, a lot of legislatures will be out of session by the time we get this up. But the small red states are really where I think a small group could have a lot of impact Um <clears throat> make a lot of noise. We're going to have an activist on from Idaho tomorrow. Um, so anyway, that's that's what we, sh- we need to do. 
we need to have permanent laws, number one, preventing states from doing this ever again. We need to have, number two, right to try um, over-the-counter COVID medication. Again, like Dr. Merritt said, this is not just for COVID. We now realize, I mean, other viruses. You know, after the show, I was speaking with Dr. Merritt, and I said, you know, it's funny. I said, I had warts on my hands, like six or seven of them for years. And I always meant to go to the dermatologist, get it frozen off, and, you know, they charge you an arm and a leg just for, for nothing, because you know, our whole, again, that's a whole other discussion, the whole insurance cartel and the way we pay for healthcare in this country. But when I started taking vitamin D, just because I got all into this, so I said, hey, maybe I'll take it myself, the warts are gone. And Dr. Mara's like, yeah, Daniel, warts are a virus. <laughs> that's it. It works. Um, so, you know, it, it, it it's unbelievable. Big pharma and big government don't want you to be healthy. They don't want you to take control of your health where you can do it freely, even free of a doctor and at a cheap cost. They don't want that. They don't want prosperity. They don't care about the poor. It's the same reason they don't care about the poor. They want to perpetuate poverty because otherwise there's no need for their tyranny. And number three is we still have a lot of states where we're behind the eight ball. I mean, Utah, they're going to be out of session by Friday. They have this weenie bill, like, after 30 days, we could beg to get back in session with a certain amount. We could request it, and then even then, they have to vote to nullify it, not the other way around, that they have to vote to reinstate the order. The default is that it stays unless they get rid of it. You got Wyoming. Wyoming has a mask mandate. Wyoming, how? There's something like two or three Democrats left in the state Senate. How does that happen? How does that happen? So, um, you know, look, if you, any of you guys in Wyoming, let's start a Wyoming group. That, that's an easy state. Small state, you can have a lot of influence. That's another one of these states where we're just underutilizing the map. Mark Gordon, that governor, he needs to be primaried. And again, the, the health department, remember, the health departments are really controlling everything. We have governance by health department. They're just as evil in Wyoming as they are in California. They're cut from that same cloth where they think cloth masks and remdesivir work and ivermectin doesn't. They're utterly retarded. We need to permanently end this. We have permanent legislation that the executive branch of government without a specific new vote of the legislature cannot promulgate any public health rules that infringe upon, that, that are directed at people. You want to mail out kits of ivermectin? Do that. You want to make vaccines available? If that's what floats your boat? Don't man mandate them. You want to make stuff available as a part of an emergency declaration? Go do that. Just like you fight a wildfire, you fight a flood, that's what emergency is. But the notion that you could just categorically rule over people, you can't do that. And that's another important thing I wanted to mention. We have to be very careful with the language of some of these bills. Some of them are even good intention from good members. They're like... The, and this gets back to the Overton window of how we had a year worth of tyranny, so we're like, man, we can't have this again. 30-day limit. But you got to be careful how you write the 30-day limit. If you write it on a 30-day limit of the emergency declaration, then that's okay. But you got to be careful that doesn't codify into law that once you have an emergency, you could do business closures and mass mandates and closing schools and yada yada but just only do it for 30 days. Because I would argue in almost every state, probably really every state, they don't have the authority to do that now, and they're abusing that power. Now, sometimes when they abuse power, you want to tighten up a statute, and that's fine. But don't presuppose that they have that authority to do that now when they really don't have the authority, and you're giving them that authority for 30 days. Make it very clear 
that an emergency declaration, whatever it is, could only be done, I would say, for 10 or 15 days, and then it expires unless we backfill it. And then even then, every or every order you want to do based on that that affects people's lives has to be submitted to the legislature for a vote. So let's say they decide not to vote. It doesn't go through. <clears throat> More or less, my buddy Chuck Gray in Wyoming, he's a representative there. I think he has a bill that somewhat does that. It looks like a good bill. But that's what we need. We've got to be very careful here. Can't move the Overton window. We can't let up our intensity in fighting in these state legislatures. There's a lot more work to be done. This is what the left does so successful. If they have an inflection moment, they won't just use it to roll back that thing temporarily, but they'll use that to permanently advance the ball. Kind of like an interception. Like the other side's advancing something and they get a hold of the ball, fumble and interception. They don't just say, wow, this is great. We, we, we stopped the other side from advancing. No, they take it and they score points with it. Same thing we need to do. We need to use this as a cathartic moment to systemically fix executive power and to go after executive powers. Strengthen the ability of legislators to convene in session And go after executive power. Not just on COVID. We're either a republic or we're not. This is the most basic basic thing. I'm not even arguing against liberalism or or communism. It's just the notion that at least if you're going to do that, let's debate it. So you have to have a committee hearing. You bring down witnesses from both sides. You have the public weigh in. It's not perfect. We, We often lose. But we have a fighting chance. If you have that the Bill Gateses of the world could control every health department, which controls every governor, and, and again, that's just one issue. We could have land use and environmental stuff that's just killing our western states. And there's so many other things going on that we need to deal with. If we don't deal with that, elections don't even matter, even if they're not stolen. Not just they don't matter because of the fraud, but even without the fraud, they don't matter. This is the broad thing that a lot of us aren't realizing. Executive agencies are irremediably broken. And we need we need to fight that executive power. So when a governor is like, you know what? Today's Christmas for you guys. You know what? I'm gonna be nice. We're gonna we're gonna take off the mandate. Look at that. But with no admission that you never had the power to do it, you were wrong on the science. And in fact, makes it, he makes it very clear that he reserves the authority to reinstate it and localities could do it beyond a certain threshold, then that's not repentance. I mean, he is not repenting. I'm all for repentance. I would love to see one of these governors, and I'm not going to make fun of them. I would champion someone like this to say, look, we were scared. I gave in to the mob. The people wanted this at the end of the day. Everyone was scared. It turned out it was wrong. We're not going to do this again. I would respect that, but they're not doing that. They're like weaseling out of it because they don't want the legislature to rebuke them, so they're trying to preempt it by getting rid of it. But that's not good enough. We still need to pass permanent legislation. Don't let up. Now is the time to bang away at it now that they're, that these governors are on the run. And again, a lot of them aren't. I mean, Wyoming, Idaho, um, Oklahoma. Oklahoma doesn't have a state mask mandate, but they all all these states have local ones. Alabama, Alabama's a toilet. They have a state mask mandate. What's going on there? We need an Alabama team in place, and we need to start working on primaries against these governors. Almost all of them need a primary. You need to find out who your legislatures are. We need a a, a slate of candidates running on freedom, running against COVID fascism. And again, particularly very specific solutions about executive power because I don't want to hear about guns. I'm sorry. 
You know I advertise for gun stuff. We promote constitutioncoach.com, our defensive handgun training at Front Sight. Could still sign up, by the way, for the March trip. I'll be there for the May 30th trip. But my point is, when you have a patient dying, and he has a paper cut, and he has heart failure, you don't focus on the paper cut. We are doing good on guns. That's the one issue in the states where, in the red states, that we've held the line on. So I don't need a rhino hiding behind constitutional carry. Don't get me wrong, I'm all for it. Okay, we're even more pro-gun. That's what Indiana's doing and Utah. But both of those states are COVID fascism beyond belief. And they're not doing anything in the legislature. And let's use guns as a lesson. Look at what happens when you have a, a grassroots pressure that forces every Republican to be a certain way. You get results, just like the Democrats do. That's really where we see red states being as red as blue states are blue on the gun laws. We need that on every issue of our time. So that's that's the truth here. And again, this is not going away. There's going to be a lot of other problems here. I know these are somewhat bluer states, but <clears throat> it's getting worse in many places. This is from Pennsylvania, <clears throat> ABC2 News. To mandate or not to mandate, that is the question. One day after city of Harrisburg announces it will require all city employees to take the COVID vaccine, we're learning why and if others are following. We believe the vaccine is safe, effective, and the best means of fighting the virus, <clears throat> said Mayor Eric Papenfuse, Harrisburg. And for that reason, Mayor Papenfuse is requiring all 400 city employees to get the shot. And I guarantee you, folks, it won't end with that. Because it's starting in in the blue states. It's from the New York Post. Where is this? Um, New Yorkers would have to flash a COVID-19 passport to enter venues under new programs. Okay. Governor Andrew Cuomo announced Tuesday the rollout of a new pilot program in which New Yorkers would have to flash a sort of COVID-19 passport in order to enter sports arenas, theaters, and other businesses as the state continues reopening efforts. The plan is to test the Excelsior Pass, which will use secure technology. To <laughs> I'd love to know who, who the vendor is behind this, who's making the money off of it. Um to confirm if a person has gotten vaccinated or has had a recent negative COVID-19 exam result during events at Madison Square Garden, Barclays, Cuomo said in a statement, the pass was tested at Tuesday night's New York Rangers game at Madison Square Garden. So folks, this is this is not the Babylon B. This is happening. Similar to an airline boarding pass, people will be able to print out their pass or save it on their phones using the Excelsior Pass's wallet app. Each pass will have a secure QR code. Jesus, which venues will scan using a companion app to confirm a person's health status. We're doing everything we can to vaccinate as many New Yorkers as possible. This bastard is doing this while my brother's father-in-law is sitting there in an ICU for two weeks because he can't freaking get the dirt cheap thing they won't allow in New York, ivermectin, that reverses cytokine storm. You know, and all the inflammatory problems that, that that result from COVID. And they're sitting and talking about their stupid thing. But folks, that's what I'm saying. This is not going away. The left doesn't give up like that. Remember, I don't care if it's Texas, Oklahoma, Mississippi, Idaho, Wyoming. Even if you pressure the governor, you got to push and push and push. You got to eradicate this disease of COVID fascism. Okay? A vaccine is not good enough. We need to eradicate it. Because the health department officials in all these states are going to keep pushing this stuff. 
They're going to wiggle it into things. We need to eradicate it. We need to go after it proactively. Once they start having to admit to our premise and they start running and conceding is not the time to ease off. That's the time to win the ball game. We never do that. It's kind of that that's kind of the moment where, you know, the Confederates won Manassas and they're like, "Hey, this is great." And it's like, "You don't understand. When you're going up against a larger army, you can't afford to not take advantage of a victory, a battle victory to actually win the war." In the long run, you win a battle, it doesn't matter. You're going to lose that war if they have much more power than you. you got to take that opening. When Stonewall Jackson wanted to go to Washington and storm Washington after that, that was the fatal mistake. That was the only way in the long run that would have won the war. Otherwise, it was just, you know, just holding them off. It's the same thing. In all 50 states, all 3,000 counties, the left is stronger than we are. That's a reality. They have all the bureaucrats. They have all the media. They have all the masters of the universe. All the NGOs. Once we have a news cycle that is beneficial to us, you got to milk it to death. you got to go after these people with a vengeance. So that's the thing. Do not give up. It's good news what is going on. But we got to fight. Here's another reason. Here's reason number four or five. I forget what number I'm up to. Why we still have to fight. Even in a state that where the governor fully gets rid of the mandates. Take a listen. Some of you might have heard this, but for those of you who haven't, it's a short clip. You got to hear this from CNN pundit Dr. Ofit. Take a listen. As we figure out what flu strains have been circulating in places like Australia or South America, which sort of pr- predicts what, what strains are likely to come into our, our country, there's been so little flu in those, those two areas, I, I think it's going to be hard for us to try and figure out what flu strains to pick. But you're right. It's, if we mask and social distance every winter, we will see a dramatic reduction in flu, which usually causes hundreds of thousands of hospitalizations and tens of thousands of deaths. I wonder whether that would be will be the lesson uh, from this. Do you hear that? I warned you guys. I warned you that the same dirtbags that said we're going to have a twindemic with COVID and the flu, after the evidence already showed the flu had disappeared, we're going to co-opt it and say, oh, whoops, there was no flu because of masks. But somehow it didn't work for COVID. But you still have to wear it for COVID. But you know what? You have to now wear it for the flu. When I said this is, this is going to be the new modus operandi, think ahead to November of this year, you know, the next flu season, November 2021. Let's say COVID is gone. So likely the flu will be back. And now we're suddenly going to discover that kids get sick. Think, think about this. We have destroyed the lives of kids in the world for a virus that is nothing for kids. So when the flu actually does go- come back, the regular flu rather than the Wuhan flu, And that flu, you know, kids could get fever. Sometimes they really get fever for a while. Oh my gosh. Last year we didn't have the flu because of masks. That's what they'll say. They're already saying it, right? Therefore, everyone has to wear a mask. All school children. We have to preempt it. We have to get ahead of it now. Now that we have the fatigue and people on our side. You wait till a bad flu season, they'll they'll bring this back. And again, this is why it's important also to follow Dr. Merritt's advice and push ivermectin and hydroxy. What if God has already given us the tools to truncate a flu, to make it that children, a child who might have had five to seven days of fever, the virus won't get off the ground? We have the means of killing viral replication. And and it's been in the literature since the 70s, but the medical establishment never really adopted it. This is stuff we have to keep pushing. Keep pushing it. Do not let go. By the way, just speaking of masks, I I, I couldn't get the video of this. I don't know why, the, the clip, but it is on, I have the transcript on CNN's website. 
again, it's nothing new. You guys know this already. They've said this. But I just, again, want to bring up the point of what the medical establishment thought of masks. February 29th of last year, Wolf Blitzer on CNN played a clip of Mike Pence saying, let me be very clear, and I'm sure the physicians who are up here will reflect this as well. The average American does not need to go out and buy a mask. So Blitzer had Zeke Emanuel on the show and said, is that true? And he said, yes, it's true. Why, asked Blitzer. Emanuel said, because wearing the mask is going is not is not going to prevent you from getting the virus. The people who need to wear masks are the people who have the virus. And since most people don't, he basically said there's there um there's no purpose to doing it. And and Blitzer kept um pushing him on it. You know, if you can breathe in the virus, so if you put on a mask, doesn't that protect you? What like what a dummy. So Zeke Emanuel said it's not going to protect you. In general, it doesn't protect. And, you know, Blitzer kept, like, cutting him off, you know, in his frantic voice. Well, well why would that protect you? You're not going to breathe it, breathe it in, right? Hey, why is it, uh, it going to protect you? So he said it's it's got to be very secure. You've got to have an N95 that filters out the right particles and could get your hands uh, and, and get on your hands and then later you touch your face. I mean, it, the the transcript is very disjointed but he said the whole thing like that's not gonna work so then blitzer said if you had an n95 would that protect you huh huh so emmanuel said i don't think so and it's not recommended n95 okay forget about this notion of wearing some dirty cloth mask that was reused and touched a thousand times and put on the table and you know this mask wearing and remdesivir are the biggest scams in the history of humanity they took a virus that we had a cure to everyone except for those that pretty much it was their time to die so you know god's got to kill people somehow but you know anyone who dies young from this is prevented we had the cure and instead our government censored it banned it hospitals won't use it and they said destroy society Let's walk around like the Twilight Zone, destroy the mental health and psychological health of kids, physical health, destroy the economy, destroy lifelong dreams of small businesses. And you won't get the virus. Oh, but you will get the virus, so we got some remdesivir and a, and a ventilator waiting, waiting for you on the other side. It's sick. Utterly disgusting. Utterly disgusting. You know, recent reports showed um, that at least 13.9 million small businesses are at risk of shuttering their doors. You understand that is the lifeblood of our voters, of our freedom, bulwark against big business, big government. 44% of U.S. small businesses are at risk of closure within a month. 44%. You know, you look at a national level, Republicans are talking about the $1.9 trillion stimulus, and it's a fake fight because they supported the first two other ones. Why aren't they supporting this? And the answer is they're just finding two or three, you know, and they, they, remember we talked about this last year, two or three things they don't like. Oh, you add in extra funding for a bridge in Alaska. Dude, that's not, you could build as many tunnels in New York and bridges in Alaska as you want. Leave us the hell alone and stop funding shutdowns and funding the education cartel and the COVID fascism and the contact tracing and the tyranny. You want to spend money and flush it? Flush it. This is worse than flushing it. But Republicans are, no, that's COVID funding. Just don't put the non-COVID funding. No, the COVID funding is the problem. A COVID bill would be making ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine over-the-counter 
for one one trillionth of the cost, sending everyone a packet of supplements and stuff that works with instructions on prophylactics, early treatment, and then exempting all small businesses from taxation and regulation for the next five years as compensation for what government did to them. And evening up the score against big business because government used COVID to tilt the playing field. That is a stimulus bill. Jeez. These Republicans are like, I don't... It's like, they'll, they'll pass a bill saying all Republicans need to be raped. And it will have an earmark there for a tunnel in Cuomo's state or something. Oh, there's a terrible... Look, look at that tunnel! This is how Republicans work. And conservative media does the same thing. They refuse. They're so scared to militate against the premise of Obamacare and healthcare tyranny. The premise of COVID fascism. The premise of mask wearing. They'll find like the most egregious element and they'll chip away at that. This is the game. The game they play. It's just so, so, so frustrating. Now, I didn't even get to the variant stuff. There's so much more on that. I have an article out on the variants today. Um, but I just want to mention one other, one other thing. Trump made a second endorsement. If you remember, his first endorsement was Jerry Moran, the senator who blamed Trump for January 6th and said the election wasn't stolen. Rhino from hell, COVID fascism, you name it. Okay. Well, his second endorsement is Tim Scott from South Carolina. If you had to pick the most random endorsements, Tim Scott is the BLM Republican. He literally agrees with BLM. Never saw a criminal he didn't want let out of jail. The whole racial agenda, he's a black supremacist is what he is. It's disgusting. Again, if you have a defense for Trump, I'm listening. He is no longer in office. He's no longer the president where you have to work with McConnell. I don't want a leader of the party. Why is he doing this? I'm not even saying he has to swing at every rhino. Swing at a few of them. The other ones just stay out of at least. But to preemptively endorse, I just don't get it. Name me one patriot trying to challenge an incumbent rhino that Trump has endorsed. I don't know of any. Again, all these people claim to have ties to Trump. Where are they? Where are they? Now, we do have some good news. I didn't get to this earlier, but I'm sure some of you have seen my article. Um... An amazing thing happened in Oklahoma. We got all of the Republican Party to support the nullification bill that will allow the state legislature with concurrent resolution to block not just executive orders, but any agency regulation and technically any act of Congress either that's unconstitutional. That is the bill we need in every state. Um, it was also a resolution. It was a bill and then a resolution explaining the rationale for it. I just want to give credit to the chairman of the States Rights Committee, Representative Jay Stagel. He's the one who really wrote it. The speaker put his name on it, which is good because then leadership supported it, you know, that everyone supported it. Um, the bill passed uh, 79-18 along party lines, so we didn't lose any Republicans. The North Dakota bill, we lost like 27 Republicans because some in the leadership opposed it. It passed narrowly 51-43. So they're both headed to the Senate. This is good news. So again, you know, it's working. I, I, I worked that hard. Um, we need one in every state. So if you want to look up the language and push with your state legislators, it is HB 1236, passed the House, headed to the Senate. That should go all the way. And, and the governor, you know, would, you know should, should sign it from what I know. <clears throat> so that is good news. James Madison said in, in, a, in a Republican government, the legislative authority necessarily predominates. 
It's time to make that true again. It's time to make state legislatures great again. It's time to make red states red again. That is our only solution. Now, my friend Jay and I were talking last night, and he brought up to me this very important question. He said, look, I want to think five steps down the road. We do have to think about this. Because I think this is really where the rubber meets the road and where we will be able to push the two-state solution issue to really break away as much as it's practically possible. Um, so the feds are going to come inevitably if this movement really does take off and threaten to cut off funding. And he asked me the way we, we need to fight that is withholding tax revenue. And just how to do that. Think about how to do that. That's that's a little bit hard. How do you do that? And that's something we need to think about. Because I think that's really where we're going to have this separation. But I will also say that, you know, Congress does control the power of the purse. And, you know, theoretically, let's say they go after Oklahoma. Oklahoma has a bunch of establishment congressmen and senators. They're two senators they should be able to get their leadership to filibuster and block a budget bill if it contains, unless it, you know, either fights back against that provision or takes it out. This is why it's so important to focus on governors and state legislatures, both the legislative happenings as well as the elections, because that also, it's not running away from federal issues. That will force bottom up. It will force the elected people from at a federal level to actually fight for their state. I think that's that's part of how we do it. There's a lot we need to talk about. Again, you sign up at conaction.network. Um, I, I, again, I'm one man. I have several amazing people helping me with their own time. They have full-time jobs. They're not getting a penny of compensation from this. So it's going to take a little bit of time. We're going to start a couple of states at a time. So it's not like you're, if you signed up on the form, it's not like it went in a black hole. Your name is captured. You are part of a spreadsheet that has people on it. Um, if you feel you are up to being a state team leader and you want to be a state team leader to help organize the committee and subcommittees of your strike force teams and Minutemen, um, organize them, you know, based on issue and strategy and maybe geographical area. You let me know. Let me know. Um, I have some ideas for some states. I'm making some calls, but it's tough. This is a big undertaking to play in so many states. Uh, I am going to focus on the redder ones first, just because that's where it's going to start. And again, self governance is up to us. That's really what this is all about. Don't celebrate the governors relinquishing parts of their tyranny. Grab it back, take it back, and keep it in your pocket and put them on notice that this will never, ever happen again. Never again, tyranny, folks, till tomorrow. God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.